Hi, this is a podcast of the best bits of Breakfasters for the week ending Friday, the 18th of February, 2022. <laughs> Breakfasters is a Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Coming up on this podcast, you'll hear us chat about the wonderful world of massages and uh, the many that I enjoyed on my recent honeymoon. And we also... Sounds um, like your husband gave them to you. Oh, gross. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, we'll keep that. Um, <laughs> we also chatted to Glenn Shorick, uh, who has a starring role in the new film, A Stitch in Time. Hey, I won the Robe Olympics over Christmas with my wife's family, so I'm going to tell you all about it. And Vashnavi, our resident screen reviewer, describes a masterpiece in film with Ken- Kenneth Branagh's Belfast. We were joined by Guardian Australia's political reporter, Amy Ramikas, to discuss her powerful new essay on Reckoning, and we did a deep dive into the dynamics of Double Gates. Triple R. I was grateful to have a nice long break over Christmas and New Year's and, and even get away and mentioned went to Adelaide for a few weeks and then had a honeymoon um, in the Whit Sundays. Now, a lot of people when they go on holidays like to get massages, mm-hmm. to relax themselves. I never used to like massages. I, I couldn't stand them actually. I think for me it was – I'm very ticklish mm. and I just – and also I, I found it was either ticklish or it was too hard and uncomfortable. And I just, I, I really was very uncomfortable with massages. But I, I remember going away with either friends or partners and they're like, oh, we've got to get a massage. Like I went to Bali, been to Thailand, um, and it, it's quite cheap for you to get a massage. Everyone's like, you've got to get a full body massage. So I was like, all right, oh, I'll give it a go. And it was the most excruciating hour <gasps> of my life. No. I, I couldn't stand it. Did you tell them it's too... too no, I can't. You know me. I can't say anything. Abby oh, talks was to Abby me. there? She could have come in and said, stop touching <laughs> my wife. <laughs> Not at the time. But I... Yeah. I, I, one thing that I do love, I love a foot massage. Mm-hmm. That that I could just get every single day. Um yeah, but but full body. I have definitely gotten better over over time. I think I'm a little bit more relaxed. But even when I used to play um, football, so I have had a couple of knee reconstructions. And when they did surgery, they had shaved my hamstring to reattach the tendons. So my hamstrings are a little bit tighter than what they should normally be. Mm. So... I was finding that they were pulling up really tight and trainers and coaches are like, just get a rub down. I was like, oh, I really don't want to rub down. They're like, just get a rub down before the game, um, just for five, ten minutes, uh, just on your hamstrings. And so I tried to do it for a couple of games and then I think I slapped the trainer's hand because it was just, I was so ticklish mm. and then the trainer refused to rub me, which is fair enough. He was just doing his job. Yeah. But I just... Yeah, I, I, I could never used to do it. Now, when we went on our honeymoon, we did a couple's yep. um, massage for an hour. Mm. And beforehand, like they have a questionnaire and they ask you if you want to have it soft, medium or firm. And so I said between soft and medium for me. But it can't be too soft because then that's ticklish. Mm. Um, and it was okay. <laughs> I know, what a drag. <laughs> I know, I'm the worst. Um, I did enjoy the hour. There was one point where... Um, I feel like she went a little bit too hard, but of course I didn't say anything. No, good. I could not be more opposite to you. Yeah. So I recently also went on a honeymoon. Mm -hmm. We went to Fiji. Yeah. Six nights, three massages I had. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, not enough. I could have gone every day, but one of them was at this little, like a little hut on the beach. Yeah. And two of them were at the resort we stayed. And 
and I wanted to go to the beach one again, but then it was cycling season's rainy and couldn't have a massage outside. Uh. It was a very hard time, if I'm honest. Um, <laughs> but my sister gave us a voucher for the fancy spa at the hotel, and yeah. Will, my partner, is the same. He never used to like them, mm. but I'm a massage addict. Yeah, so he's you know kind of coming around, and so we both we had the couples massage. And he's quite ticklish. Yes. And the um, I think just by default they give the man the stronger masseuse and the you know whereas yeah. it should have probably been the inverse. And I could hear her say to him every every now and then, relax, oh. just relax, because he's getting I all know. tense. And at one point she's massaging him, <laughs> and it's towards the end of the massage, and he said to me at the end, "Oh, did you hear what hear what she said to me?" I said, "Oh, relax." He goes, "No, no, it's finishing." And she was really lovely. Um, and she said, "You're a very strong man." <laughs> Which is not a compliment in that context. Well, I think he was like, oh, thank, thanks, I guess. Because <laughs> I don't know. Because he was tense and like, well, tense, he's tensing his resisting muscles. the yeah. relaxation. I mean, on the Larry Sanders show, uh, Gary Shandling gets a massage every day. Oh, my dear. And I think that would be for a lot of people. And this is what you had access to, really. You had a trainer or a physio yeah. on demand mm. and poo pooed them. I know. But, oh, when I watch the footy and I see them getting those leg rub downs on the side of the of the ground, uh, I envy that. Yeah, yeah, it looks so it, good. It, like massages, it did take me a while because I I ended up having some hamstring issues, and they're like, you just have to get over it. Like, so mm. I, like I went to physio and everything, and they're like, you just get a rub down, and so I got better at it. But I was like, will like I was just more tense. Mm. Um, but I did eventually get better. But then once I did get used to it, um, I felt that after a massage. The last thing I want to do is run out onto a footy field. I just yeah. want to relax. Right. Yeah. It was nice and I felt like my legs were jelly and it was just like, oh, God, I don't want to have to sprint. Yeah, get me a martini. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a box out of Sex in the City or something. <laughs> uh, so it's you like your feet being touched. I yeah. gather that that's not popular among masseuses. <laughs> I don't know, maybe not. Um, but I think even Bobby's feet in particular. Well, no, I mean <laughs> no, I don't know. No, I, I haven't seen him. your feet. Uh, and <laughs> but I w- would have thought, as a rule, like no, it's the because la- when you get a massage, I don't recall them like sticking their finger between your toes or anything. Oh God, I haven't. Mm. I don't think I've had that before. Oh no. Um, but maybe it is the last thing that they go to. I do like a head massage as well. They're, that's quite nice. Um, but yeah, I know like. Abby's not huge on getting her feet touched, and I know a few people that are mm. like that as well. Whereas mm. I'm like, oh, go Bring it all on. in, yeah. Do you remember the show, the store What's New? Oh, yes, yes. I reckon yes. that's still around somewhere in a yeah. plaza somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, I saw a sanity as well. Anyway, <laughs> um, but the the orgasmatron. Oh, oh yes, that yes, thing on the your head, head thing that you put on. Oh. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that's right. So a lot of <laughs> A lot of kids would like would wander into what's new after school, and then just, and like just take turns on the orgasmatron. Yeah. Oh, I definitely did that. Why wasn't that police? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's got yeah, it is, it is. That's gross. I think now that I think about mm. it, and you also have to think about um, giving them as gifts and like how many heads at Chadston Shopping Centre has that time. That's yeah. right. Take yeah, one from you the want box. one unopened. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Don't uh, take what one. about a shopping centre? Uh, you know. Where do, look, I've I've had massages where I've had one overseas where I had to. This is not an appropriate story, but I. <laughs> All right, here we go. I here do. Go. I do. I do uh, negotiate with the boss of the masseuse place yeah. about why I didn't want the whole kitten caboodle. Uh not not an offer that Bobby and I get. No, that's right. But I, <laughs> and they couldn't work out why. Oh. And I'm like negotiating I, in a robe. <laughs> I just 
I just have some tension in my shoulders. <laughs> Please leave me alone. I hate that connotation with massage parlors because I just find it such a nice, relaxing thing to do. Mm. Yeah. But then, then there's that. But that's few and far between. But what, what about machines? Like would you ever sit on a couch, on a, on a lounge or whatever in a shopping centre while the metal thing or whatever Yeah, I love is? that. Really? They've got, they've got oh. really good ones at Singapore Airport and those massage chairs that are free. Yeah. And you sit in and they've got the – they strap like a go tight around your ankles and your feet. Oh, that would be Squeeze cool. your ankles. It's great. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. When you've got a long layover, it's all you want to do is sit yeah. in a chair and be squeezed. I, when I've got pedicures and they have those massage chairs, I find that they, the balls in the oh, chairs just yeah. push in the lower back. Everyone is sitting on the chair like very uncomfortable. Yeah. Why would Changi hmm. – have, which is known to as, as a prisoner of war, then actually have a torture machine in the airport. Was it a ride? Yeah, I was disrespectful to war is what <laughs> I was. I'm getting it. It's, uh, it's not a torture machine, a little bit of an ankle squeezy. Oh, no. Who needs their ankle squeezed? We've been on it to get off a 10-hour flight. I used to get people to bash me in the back of the back uh, with a baseball bat. Yes. Yeah, and then I re- witnessed you doing it to yourself. Have you seen me do that? Yeah, when we were when you were broadcasting from home, there's a point where you just whipped a baseball bat out, and I was like, "Oh, this is the end." It's- <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? What is it? Really? I did that on camera. Yeah, you probably didn't realise you're on camera. No, no, no. We went, we talked about it, and I think Geraldine said, "Is that a baseball bat?" And you're like, "Yeah." And I said, "Oh well, song's on. Got it." <laughs> Times in a pandemic. So don't ever tell me off about getting my ankles. Independent Melbourne Radio 3 Triple R. Australian music legend Glenn Sharrock is the founding member of chart-topping bands including The Twilights, Axiom, Little River Band, spin-off BSG and of course his solo work. Now the multi-award winning singer-songwriter has turned his talents to film, starring as Duncan in A Stitch in Time, an ode to the power of community and friendship. And to tell us about it, the dual Aria Aria Hall of Fame inductee joins us now. Glenn, welcome to Breakfasters. Thanks a lot. How are you? We're excellent. What a performance. You're terrifying. (laughs) Is it? Yeah, I, I, you, I've, your performance as Duncan is yeah. uh, absolutely... Yeah, I'm, a grunt, I'm a grumpy old bugger, aren't I? Bloody hell. Yeah, I was curious to know, Glenn, how, how much <laughs> the character resonated with your true person. Oh, uh, well, you can all go and get... No, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was afraid of. <laughs> oh. No, no, I'm a happy, happy-go-lucky sort of bloke. You know, I've got a long career. I've been very lucky. Very fortunate and um, been successful. So uh, I'm not looking up to climb up the ladder of uh, success anymore. I'm enjoying sort of semi-retirement. And but I got asked to do this this film about two two three years ago now, and um, Maggie Blinko put me into it. She plays my wife in the in the movie. Um, I've always been interested in, in film. I've been interested in major, all, all sorts of uh, forms of show business. I've done a, a lot in in Australia, but mainly, you know, people know me as a singer, and uh, I'm still doing that. You mentioned Maggie. She, you know, played that starring role of leader. She brought me to tears many times throughout the film. How was it working alongside Maggie? You know, being such a renowned Australian actor. Well, you would you'd expect um, to learn things from from people like that, and she, you know, she teaches me. She's very um, poised and uh, knows what she's doing. 
I'm I'm a bit sort of rattled all the time. I'm. Uh, it took me a while to get to know my lines and my, and I kept bumping into furniture. <laughs> <laughs> Can we uh, talk about ageism in show business and maybe in the culture in general? The movie sort of circles in this area. What's yeah. been your observations or association with ageism in Australia? With with what in Australia? Ageism. It feels like the, the one the one bigotry you're allowed to keep is bloody old people. <laughs> oh, I see what you mean. Well, um, I have experience of it. I'm I'm an old bugger now, so. Um, I'm, I'm looking after myself, and so is my wife looking after me. Um, but I look after my mum. My mother is 102 Whoa, this wow. year. So, you know, she's been looked after by aged care people. So, yes, I do take an interest in it. Mm. And, and uh, pa, the, um, the Asian connection in this film uh, brings out that, that... Um, you know, Asian people look after their elderly people a lot better than we do. Yeah, that's right. There's there's a line in the film about uh, beauty resonates from integrity. As an artist, do you align yourself with that at all? Does that resonate with you? Integrity? Yes. Oh, no, I never let that go in the way. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we suspected, actually. <laughs> It was integrity. I just want a good time. Yeah, fair enough too. Um, the pedigree behind this film is quite extraordinary. You've got the executive producer from Ladies in Black. You've got the cinematographer mm. from The Dressmaker and Moulin Rouge. I mean, that's quite a debut you're making. Oh, yes, I'm working with some pretty posh people. Um, Don McAlpine's a wonderful, wonderful cinematographer. And the film looks great, I think, don't you? Oh, absolutely, yeah, 100%. That. Uh, there's also... it, it looks like a, it looks like a, a a proper film, if you know know what I mean. Yeah. Um, it's a quiet film, though, isn't it? It's not exactly. You know, my eyes don't get red very often, and I don't sort of transform myself into trucks and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and there are no zombies. No, it's it's about real real people and and real life in Australia. Yeah, and also. F- a- you know, it's in many respects about following your dreams and that it's never too late. Uh, where do you stand on that? Well, I've always tried to diversify my career. Um, uh, I've done um, theatre. I've done... Uh, I've had my own TV show a few years ago. I've done breakfast radio, so I know what you guys can do. <laughs> <laughs> um and uh, you know, I've done now. I've done cinema, so I, I don't see that I, I can I can transform myself in, in, into uh, into anything if you want me to. I'm all ready to go. And uh, what about uh, the brutality in the film? You're a grumpy bugger, but people are pretty mean to you back. It does it. After a scene, do you have a laugh or a hug or, you know, at one stage a character says to you, don't look me in the eye and call yourself an investment? And I thought, Christ. (laughs) Well, of course, we're acting. (laughs) Um, uh, We we got on very well together. Um, Unfortunately, one of the cast has passed away who who plays um, my old uh, band member, member, Justin. Um... John Gregg, he passed away 
uh, last year, I'm afraid. That's, it's, that's, all, that's a, the bad thing about ageing. Mm. You die. Well, that's right. Um, um, but as far as brutality goes, uh, I don't really follow where you're at there. Well, just that the it's it's rare to see characters be so upfront with each other, and uh, you know it's it's yeah, it's jarring yeah, to watch, and I'm wondering if it's jarring to be in. But uh, you're just pretending, as you say. Yeah, but it it does get. Um, um, I'm I'm a pretty nervous guy, you know, these days. So my nervousness translates to the, into the character. Mm. Yeah, people do get intense. But they do in real life as well. Um, so it's not too hard to uh, step outside of um, of anger sometimes. You, you've you been in the business for decades and decades. Have you noticed the Australian culture change? Do you think it's it would be harder to get a start now? Or where, where do you see yourself in the firmament? Mm. Um, well, I never knew I'd be doing this at this age, you know, I got into music in in the first place um, through falling in love with American culture, American mm. music, which is rock and roll. Elvis Presley was the big influence on me when I was a boy. Um, had had that music and that American culture not come along, I think I probably would have drifted into uh, some sort of show business. I like showing off, you know. I've, I've always been able to mime things or mimic things, and um, my father was a humorous man, um, and I've always been interested in, in the art. So um, I've, I would have gone that way anyway, I think. I don't think I would have become an airline pilot or anything like that. And what about, we recently lost the legend in Glenn Wheatley. I wonder what part in your career you could say that he, he played, what part did he have in your life? Oh, a huge part of my life. But yeah, uh, uh, Glenn um, was a, a great guy and believed in Australian music uh, and um, asked me to join a new group called Little River Band. Now, that, that that's an encapsulated story, really. But mm. um, and, and the aim was to take homegrown Australian music to America and elsewhere and um, Glenn Wheatley did all the negotiating for us to do that. We had we had the songs, we had the talent, but uh, and Glenn had the talent to be to be a, a decent manager as well. Um, he'll be sadly missed, but oh, you know he, he he had a he's got a had a great legacy to leave behind. Yeah. Um, I'm afraid other people are, are, are dying as well. Uh, I've just lost two members of the Twilights as well last week um so uh, i'm looking over my shoulder as they say <laughs> well you're still performing tell us about your 2022 uh what am i going to do um i think you're playing with brian cat aren't you at the palms oh that's right yeah they are. <laughs> <laughs> memory's another problem <laughs> um, <laughs> brian who um, yes, <laughs> Brian and I, you know, we've worked together over the years. We had a band together in the in the seventies called Action. Um, you know, you know the song "Little Red Sunshine" and Arkansas Grass. We we had a we have a good a long relationship. 
and a lot of fun together. So we're going out again uh, as the two amigos. Hmm. Um, and what else am I going to do? Oh, there's a... Um, oh, I'm doing the Blues Fest this year hmm. in Byron Bay right, for the first time. Uh, and I'm doing some other uh, big shows out in the country, a la the Big Red Bash, that sort of... That sort of uh, in Broken Hill, that is. Uh, I'm working a lot with other of uh, my ilk, my uh, colleagues like um, yeah, Ross Wilson and, uh, and and all the others that I can't remember. <laughs> uh, Russell Russell Morris, John Paul Young, um, and also I'm doing a a tribute to John Lennon's 50th anniversary of Imagine, mm. which uh, we're, we're all going to do, um, you know, a, a collection of John Lennon's material. So, yeah, there's stuff to be done. Um, things, are, things are heating up again, which is good. But um, I just hope that uh, we don't have to go through another lockdown and uh, we're all out of work again. But, yeah, absolutely. You know, exactly. we've, just got to, we've just got to keep positive and keep the balls in the air and all that sort of stuff and remain remain clam. <laughs> yes, precisely. Well, in the meantime, you can catch Glenn Shark's star turn in the film A Stitch in Time, which opens in cinemas tomorrow. Glenn, uh, great to meet you and thanks for coming on Breakfasters. Thank you. All the best to you. Bye. Triple R. After Christmas each year, I've jumped onto Abby's family uh, holiday, which is in Robe. Um, it's a coastal town in South Australia. It's about a six-hour drive uh, from Melbourne. Um, Abby's been going there since she was a kid. Uh, she goes there and her cousins are there as well. Um, and this particular year, everyone came. So there were, um, I think there were 12 of us all together, and everyone brought partners and stuff. And Abby's stepmom is just the most organised person I've ever met like she's got an itinerary for which she actually had an itinerary every day on a blackboard whilst we were away for the whole day uh yeah wow. like she said relaxing for the first like up until midday and then she'd have um optional activities like a school in, camp kind of free yeah, time yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. uh, and like I am an organized person I do like to organize trips and 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 stuff and events but she's next level like unbelievable um so this year uh so there's Abby her sister and two cousins and Everyone was bringing partners this year. So that was the first time it was going to be a, a bigger holiday, uh, just more people around. So she was like, right. When they were kids, um, she used to organise this thing called Robe Olympics. And it was multiple events uh, that everyone would do as kids. And she's just like, it would entertain them. But now everyone being adults, she thought, yeah, I'm going to do this again. Mm. Uh, and she did. And it went for about three and a half hours. We had a break in there. But we did... Um, so there were 10 events. There was Finska, bingo, cricket catches, golf putting, charades, uh, in-betweens, which is a card game that I'd never played before, mm. but I bloody loved it, um, emoji riddles and, and, and all that kind of stuff um, with not too bad breaks. I think before it started, like Abby and her cousins were like, oh, my God, are we really doing this? Like this is... So how many people are competing? Uh, so there were twelve people. So everyone was in uh, couples. In, in pairs, yeah. Right. So I was with uh, I was with Abby, obviously. Um, and Abby's sister's quite competitive as well. And mm-hmm. I mean, everyone knows that I'm competitive. Slightly. So this <laughs> this 
really brought it out of me. I, I just, I think it was during the in-betweens game when I was like, we got given fake chips to play and I've gone all in and my God, when I got it, I nearly flipped the table. I, I was so excited and they're like, Jesus, we knew you were competitive, but this is next level. Um, what is the emoji game? Oh, so she would, it was an emoji riddle. So she sent a text to everyone at the same time and it had like 20 different riddles uh, with emojis and you had to guess what each one was, it whether mean? it be a saying or a movie or a person. Um, they were pretty clever. I, I suck at that one. I, I was really, really terrible. So you decode emojis yes. to find out. Got it. To find out what the, what the thing was. Uh, one of the activities was cricket catches. Um, Which you pe- loved? I... We sucked. Oh, what? We well, I mean, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus. Yeah, but mm. it was my wife, yeah. Abby. I mean, she dropped the first one, so then you're out. It's like, oh, I can't believe are you it. Serious? You had to see how many catches you could have in a row. Um, oh. Did and, you have to choose between you who went first? Yeah. So like, oh. one person would either hit, and the other one would catch. And I thought, oh, I'll, I'll do the hitting because I, I wasn't sure where her balls were going to go. So I was mm. like, I can control the ball. Um, and unfortunately, she didn't. She didn't catch it. What um, sort of ball? It was a tennis ball. Right. It that did. would fly off the bat. Yeah, but I did a very loopy hit. Yeah, yeah. So I thought. Mm. Anyway, I, I tried not to, <laughs> to get too upset about it. Um, no, but I mean, two months on, you're still talking about it. So. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but in the end, so they, they were doing uh, running tallies of everything. Um, and then, uh, yeah, we won. We won by half a point. Beat her mm. sister. We haven't spoken since. You, oh. <laughs> because yeah, Jesse's family has a a run on Christmas, like a, a sprint. Oh my god! Oh, but it's gift. like everyone's full of bloody cake. Well, that makes it fun. I think maybe they'll go for a jog in the morning or something. No, yeah, and then that's they, they work out the um, handicaps. The handicaps. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's a bit of fun. Yeah. So who qualifies for a handicap? <laughs> like who's eaten the most? Is that? Yeah, handy? that would be one. Someone who's had a significant injury that year. Got a broken leg. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I imagine that would you would have an injury occur every year, do you? Like a hamstring or something or people... Yeah, people don't like it. There's probably spewing as well because yeah. people are you know, not ready to run as fast as that. Kind <sighs> of sounds like they're doing it under duress. Like who, who, you know, yeah, people who don't organ- want to do it. People get sick. Yeah. Who, who's happy about That's it? That's half the entertainment, though. And there's probably a few people who carry the torch and insist <laughs> on making a tradition. But it, th- what an unusual mix of games. So there's some yeah. mental, some physical. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, she likes to make it yeah, very broad and, and, and then just some, um, like, bingo. Like, you don't need any skill for that. It just mm. depends yeah. what happens. Because so Rope's a tiny town. Mm. Like it's, I think populations. Yeah. Uh, my mother was more in Narracourt, which is like an hour away, I think. Oh. But it's like... Is it a, are you outside? Like, did the townsfolk come and cheer? <laughs> they didn't this year, but maybe next year. Um, we, we, like, um, hire a house and then it had just had a really big yard. So we played all the games inside and outside and everything. Um, but, yeah, no, she did a magnificent job of organising it. You know what I did see when I was in Robe as well? Three different cars with triple R bumper stickers on them. Really? Yeah. Did you notice if the number plates were Victorian or not? They were all Victorian. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, you wanted South Australia. I just ones. thought, like, you know, we that we can listen nice. to us anywhere online. Yeah, yeah. that would be. Cool. It would have um, implied a b- even bigger reach if yeah. they were. SA yeah, ones. but still, we'll take it. I'm glad that oh, this travel. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, will it be on again? 
Yeah, yeah, it is on next year. So, uh, so you won. Yes. Did you get a trophy? No. Well, she didn't uh, get one, but she is got. She's going to get a trophy now and get it engraved. Oh. So what? and then she'll she'll bring it and then each year. It'll get engraved with whoever the winners, but we're the inaugural winners, and I'm yeah. very excited. Congratulations! About it. Thank you. Uh, hopefully, you Thank introduce you. the skeleton. <laughs> <laughs> Knock your teeth out. Triple R on FM, digital, online, and via the app. Here to chat, film we're joined for the first time in 2022 by culture vulture Vashnavi Vijayakumar. Welcome back to Breakfasters. Good to um, see you guys after a brief break over the Christmas period. It was a huge break. Who are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But I'm glad. I'm glad to be back and um, part of the crew, so thank you. Oh, our oh, pleasure. pleasure. Now, is it just me or does Kenneth Branagh have two movies out? He does. He's um, starring in um, a Poirot film um, and he's also got this feature, which I'm going to talk about, which is Belfast, which is his new semi-autobiographical masterpiece. Whoa. Whoa. All right. Yeah. Straight out the gate. So uh, growing up, I was a bit of a fan of U2 and the Cranberries, so I was quite interested in Irish history. So I was pretty excited to um, watch this film. Have any of you watched it yet? No, not yet. So Kenneth actually wrote and directed the film and it stars newcomer Jude Hill, who plays Buddy or Kenneth as a young boy. The very gorgeous Jamie Dornan plays his father, best known for the Fifty Shades of Grey franchise and his skills with the gymnastics pommel horse. The very beautiful (laughs) Katrina Bath plays his mother. You might recognise her from Outlander. The inimitable, should I say, Judy Dench is in it as his granny and she puts on a pretty good Irish accent, I have to say. Um, And Kieran Hines plays his grandfather and an interesting fact is that Jamie Dornan was actually born and raised in Belfast so and was actually Kenneth's first pick to play his father which is kind of cool mm. do much of you um know about the situation in Northern Ireland uh yes uh, it's, yes it's like <laughs> I don't want to explain it to everybody <laughs> um but yeah the film kicks off at the onset of those te- um, tensions between the Protestants and the minority Catholics in 1969 and it's often colloquially referred to as the Troubles it ended in around 1998 through a very tense peace process but the film itself kind of kicks off around that time because that's actually the period when Kenneth Brenner left Ireland at age nine and a lot of the moments including the opening scene which is this quite horrific riot is actually based on his lived experience. Over the years, there have been quite a few TV shows and songs that have addressed this period in Irish history. So we have U2 Sunday Bloody Sunday, The Cranberry Zombie, and the Netflix series Derry Girls, which is actually set in the 90s in the latter half of those troubles. So for Brenner, the film was actually conceptualised during lockdown. And I think for a lot of people, lockdown brought up a lot of trauma. And for him, it brought up memories of his childhood during the troubles. Do any of you come from big families? You d- yeah, you probably got the biggest. I've got six. Six kids? Six. No, no, six in total. Oh, under wow. the roof. Oh, wow. Oh, well, that's, that's pretty big. I'm five. Big. You're five. I've got yeah. 16 cousins, though. Is that a lot? I don't know. Yes. I have 13 cousins, so I, I can relate to that. <laughs> Great. But yeah, I come from a big family, too, and Brenner talks a lot about how he grew up on a street with his extended family, with everyone knowing everyone, and that idea of being raised by a village. And, and that's how I was raised, how my parents grew up. So I really connected to that aspect of the film. 
Mm. So aside from the opening scene, a lot of the movie and pretty much majority of the movie is in black and white. And this adds this beautiful context to, to the setting. Um, unfortunately, because Belfast has changed so much, the film couldn't actually be shot there. Mm. They had to build a set outside on the outskirts of London, but it kind of mirrored the streets that Brenner grew up in. But, yeah, the film is super beautiful. It's this mix of humour, romance, sorrow. And Kenneth does a really good job of capturing these really quieter and intimate interactions between Jude, his parents, his grandparents and his friends amongst this bubble, these bubbling tensions and the violent riots that were happening around them. And there's this feeling that the family kind of just carries on um, trying and, and trying to be, a, you know, a super supportive family, despite the fact that there's all this civil politics that they're being surrounded by. Have any of you watched Billy Elliot? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love that film so much. <laughs> and this film actually reminded me a lot of that because a lot of the film is actually told through Jude's eyes, which I guess is Kenneth's eyes as a young boy. Um, seeing these super dangerous situations, um, watching on as his parents have these very adult conversations. But it's all seen through his lens. And it's that idea that no matter how, we, how much we try to protect our kids or hide things from our kids, they probably have a bit of a clue in terms of what is actually going on. But I've got two like favorite scenes from the film um one of them is this beautiful moment where jamie dornan sings a very romantic rendition of everlasting love by love affair to katrina bath um and the other one is this uh, family scene where the whole family goes to see chitty chitty bang bang at the cinema and it reminds me of these this memory that my dad and his siblings talk about a lot where they recount this moment where as a family with his parents they went and saw sound of music together at the mm. cinema so it, it was just really beautiful and heartwarming um and yeah i actually went and saw the film with a friend of mine who is of irish catholic heritage however multiple generations of her family have lived in australia and i was talking to her about how the film explores these broader ideas of migration and the tough choice that parents um, such as my own have often made to flee civil conflict to raise their families elsewhere and often in those moments you leave people behind as well I mean like nobody chooses to leave their homeland but they're often forced to make that choice because of um, war and conflict mm -hmm. but it's been nominated for multitudes of Oscars, BAFTAs, Golden Globes I laughed, I cried I drooled over Jamie Dornan mm -hmm. go out to the cinemas and go see it Oh what Gee, a review <laughs> That sounds so good and what do you think the like it's a very this is a very basic question but any any benefit to it being black and white apart from it being very artistic and beautiful i think it i guess when, with Kenneth, Kenneth Brenner making that choice it's about transporting you to another time mm. and even though the total film was in black and white there were moments of color like chitty chitty bang bang on the big screen was actually in color even oh. though like the you know everything else was in black and white so I think this it's this idea that it's it's set in the past and yeah it's it, it, it just adds another element to the film and dimension to the film I think. I was in Belfast a few years ago and saw a Cranberries tribute band. <gasps> did, oh, oh did my you? god! I thought you were going to say the Cranberries, yeah, but me I mean too. the Cranberries tribute band is just as good. It I was know. one of the best nights of my life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, it's in cinemas now. Give us the title again. It's Belfast, and you can pretty much see it at all commercial and independent cinemas. Beautiful stuff, Ashmi. Thanks very much. Thank you. Triple R. 
Amy Ramikas is Guardian Australia's political reporter and has covered Queensland and federal politics, crime, courts and the environment throughout her career, working across radio, print and television. Her new essay, On Reckoning, is an account of the journalist's personal and professional rage, taking us inside and outside the parliament during one of the most confronting and important conversations in recent memory. And to tell us about it, the inaugural Young Walkley Award nominee joins us now. Amy, welcome to Breakfasters. Hi, I'm thrilled to be here. Can you tell us about your compulsion to write this essay in this cultural and political moment? Yeah, so I'm a sexual assault survivor myself. And so when uh, a year ago, when Brittany Higgins raised allegations of being sexually assaulted within Parliament House, I was just watching every single one of our political leaders just really fumble with how to deal with it. And that went on for such a long period of time. It, it was just this real moment where our leaders just didn't seem to know what to do. But then I was watching what was happening outside of the parliament and there was this real rage that was just growing with people just saying, this isn't this isn't new. This isn't something that's happening in a vacuum. How can you not understand how to deal with this? And so as I was kind of dealing with my own experience and having to relive uh, what I had been through at the same time as watching just a comprehensive failure to understand and empathise and actually address the issue of sexual violence in this culture, um, I just thought that it was perhaps um, a moment that deserved writing Mm. about. Do you get a sense of whether rage is sustainable? Uh, I think it is because I think everyone is just very, very angry uh, and it's not something that goes away. Uh, it just kind of lives within you, I think. Uh, it's Whether we're going to see, you know, mass protests on the street and that sort of thing is another thing entirely. But individually, yes, I do think that rage is sustainable and I do think it's going to have an impact on the election. Is there anything as a journalist that you have to overcome to commit or any internal obstacles or reservations to commit this personal essay to print? I think uh, people expect journalists to kind of park all of their own uh, real-life experiences to the side and be impartial observers. And I don't think that that's possible when it comes to issues like this. In fact, I think experience actually counts for something and helps humanise it and, and let people know that, yes, you do understand how serious this is. Because politics particularly, it's often treated as a game uh, and the media is complicit in that. Like, we do kind of sit there and talk about it as this contest of ideas but really everything that happens in Parliament impacts on people's lives and we should take a more human approach to how we cover that, whether it's covering things that happened to Centrelink payments, to how we deal with the pandemic, to you know even tax cuts that can have a huge impact on the way that people live their lives. So uh, I think this idea that journalists should just, you know, just be these kind of automatons who don't actually have any opinions is kind of bubkis in this day and age. We need people to still present all of the sides but also kind of put it in the context of saying we understand this is real life and this is how it's impacting you because this is how it's impacted me. Uh, And you write that respect, protect and reflect, which I think is a quote from Scott Morrison, uh, in the hands of an unwilling leadership becomes nod, deflect and placate. Does it it work? Is it, do, do you sense that and any attempts to nod, deflect and placate is working or it's the movement's too overwhelming? 
Uh, I think it. I think it might be too overwhelming. I'm not completely confident that we're going to get action from up on the hill, uh, because you know things move very, very slowly when it comes to politics, and the only thing that really shifts that dial for politicians is when they sense that voters are starting to to change their views on something, which is what we've seen in the last year. We've seen uh, women in particular stand up and say this isn't good enough, which is why we've had the limited amount of action that we've had, which is, you know, a couple of reviews and inquiries and the government committing to actually trying to do something uh, on this issue. But I think the government has been really taken aback by how the usual, you know, placation and just pats on the head hasn't really worked here, that people have actually demanded action, uh, which is why we've seen apologies, which is why we've seen we're going to actually, you know, instigate some of these review recommendations. But I'm not too sure as to whether we're going to see the change that we need uh, to systemic power structures. I think that's something that's going to come from, you know, you guys and your listeners and, and just people outside of Parliament, because that's where the real change happens. I wanted to know about your – you write in the essay about people's different interpretation of anger and how often if a, if a man expresses anger or rage, it's it's assertive and if a woman does, you, you say that she's um, – they rant. You said men, men argue women rant. Do you think that with this, I guess, uprising of support from, from women and wanting their voices heard maybe more than ever, that perception will change or is that perhaps naively hopeful? Uh, I hope it will eventually change, but it was only a couple of weeks ago that the nation was having a conversation about whether Grace Tame should have smiled uh, (laughs) when she met the Prime Minister, uh, despite all of her advocacy over the last year and, you know, her, her criticism of how his government has acted on this issue. So the fact that we, a year later, we were still having that conversation sort of shows how far we have to go when it comes to dealing with anger from women in particular. There's so many people who we we think of as a society that they need to be nice and calm and rational. Uh, And if they show any emotion, then they're no longer nice and calm and rational. They're irrational. When no, really, they're just, they just care about the issue and we should let them express that. We shouldn't police or tone police uh, anyone in how they, they talk about an issue that they have concerns about. It's really, it's kind of like the the politics of civility where we decide who gets a seat at the table by how calm they are when they're discussing these issues Uh, and it's usually uh, the the straight white men who make the decisions about how calm you have to be to talk about something. Amy how's the response been to reckoning from other women that may have experienced trauma as well? Have, Have you found a lot of women that have reached out that are acknowledging their own trauma as well by reading your experiences? Yeah, that's been quite overwhelming and it's been a, a real privilege to to hear from, from those people about their experiences and how the essay has impacted them because sometimes I just think we need permission to be angry because so many women have been told that they're not allowed to be angry uh, for their entire lives. And so to have someone say, yeah, you know, we're all pissed off and there's a reason for that. It's actually quite rational to be this angry, I think has been quite freeing. At least that's what I've been told by quite a a lot of people, uh, which I think is really good. But I also think that it's just so important 
that we remember that not everyone can tell their story and you're no less brave for not speaking about what happened to you. There are so many reasons why someone may not be sharing their story and that is completely, completely fine and completely within their power because when you've had all your power stripped from you, the only thing you can really control is your story and whether you tell it or not. So I think that just saying to these people, we see you, we hear you, and we believe you has also been a a real powerful moment for a lot of people because we can't expect everyone to be able to speak. Not everyone's in a safe situation and shame still coats this issue for so many people. So the reaction from people saying thank you uh, because this really is my story as well and you've, you've allowed me to tell it has been just something I'm going to cherish forever. Uh, you've introduced me to the phrase crumb maiden. Can you explain <laughs> that concept and maybe how it plays out in modern politics? Yeah, so crumb maiden is something that I've, you know, talked about with friends for years, just kind of just, uh, you know, as a descriptor for people who uphold power structures because they get the residual crumbs of that power. And I think we all know crumb maidens in our life. There's somebody who, you know, somebody will be speaking up about an experience and they'll immediately jump in to say, well, I've never experienced Mm. that. Uh, That's not something that's ever happened to me. I found this entire workplace to be quite supportive. And we did see uh, during the the reckoning that was happening in Parliament quite a few uh, women MPs step forward to to say that they've never experienced bullying or harassment in Parliament, despite a report from the Sex Discrimination Commissioner saying that over half of the staff in Parliament have experienced harassment or bullying or, you know, abuse. Uh, They were very quick to say, although that's not something that I've ever experienced. Uh, And I think that that's that's a problem that props up everywhere. Uh, And the moment that you jump up and say, I've never experienced that, you're in a sense devaluing the experience of the person who has experienced it. So it's great if you've gone your entire life working in an environment where you have never experienced harassment or bullying or abuse. That That's wonderful for you. But it doesn't mean that it's not happening. And jumping forward with the counter, oh, it's never happened to me, all it does is allow people to say, oh, well, it's not an issue and we should move on. Mm. You also write that uh, there's a danger of putting people on pedestals and expecting them to solve all our issues. Is that human nature? How? What's a better way to approach issues and even indeed life more broadly that doesn't set people up to disappoint us? I think uh, I think it's just sharing the load, really, because we can't we can't expect one or two people to carry an entire movement because what tends to happen is that critics then look at ways to try and tear those people down. Uh, and in doing so, uh, impact the movement, uh, which is what we've seen throughout history over and over and over again. Someone will pop their head up over the parapet and say, this is something that we need to talk about. Uh, they get a lot of uh, you know, attention and a, a bigger platform to be able to speak about their issues. And the next thing you know, they're being torn down because of something that they've said once or done once or that they're not the perfect human that 
people have decided that they need to be. Uh, and I think that's absolutely ridiculous because people are human and they're going to have very human experiences. And because they're right on one thing doesn't necessarily mean that they'll be right or perfect on everything. Mm. So I think the only way that you can really avoid that is to to listen to them uh, to let them lead, but also to share the load because this isn't just something that's happened to one person or one type of person. It's something that's happening everywhere uh, across society. And we also need to really think about who, we're, who we allow space uh, to hear to hear these issues from because there are so many people in other vulnerable and minority communities who have been screaming at us for decades and we need to make sure that we hear from them as well. You don't need to be perfect to have a strong message uh, that people need to hear. Well, On Reckoning is the new essay by Amy Ramikas. It's out now through Hachette and I suppose we'll let you get back to covering the last week of sitting parliament. <laughs> Thank you. Melbourne's own Triple R. I went to a new comedy night last night in Footscray called Westside Comedy with a West Side Story theme to it. Oh. Yeah, so it, it was different. I haven't been to a comedy night like that. Um, they had some musical theatre performer sing a few songs at the start of the night. Um, and then they had the two teams, like the Jets and the Sharks, uh, and they were competing. So we would choose the winner at the end. Um you guys would have, people would have heard Triple R listeners. Irvi Majumda was captain of one of the teams and Jonathan Schuster was captain of the others. Uh, and then they had some, uh, I guess, newer comedians that were performing underneath them as well. But it was a good night. It was really good. We went, um, so Abby and I went with one of Abby's workmates, who she's really good friends with, um, but hasn't hung out with socially. So we hung out with him and he brought his partner. Uh, so it was kind of like a, a double date. I don't think anyone says double dates anymore. But uh, anyway, it was it was really good. You know when you meet a friend or you're friends with someone and then you meet their partner for the first time? Mm-hmm. Um, loved him. Like, oh, it was God. so much fun. Yeah. Had a ball. And, like, Abby had spoken about um, her mate Andy at work all the time. It was like, we've got to go out with them. We, you know, we've got to hang out. Um, and yeah, we had a ball. It was a great night at the comedy. Uh, and then just hanging out and, and chatting as well. Uh, Andy's partner's going away overseas for six weeks. And I feel like I'm going to miss him. Like, oh, I only just met that's him. Like intense. Well, I know it is intense, isn't it? Did I, you say that to them? No, absolutely Good. not. I wouldn't dare. <laughs> Hopefully they're listening. Um, no, but I said to Abby, I was like, I'm. I want to do that again. Like, I want to hang out. I'm nearly 40 and I feel like I've got new friends. I, I can't remember the last time. It's very hard. I had mm. new friends. What are we going to do? I mean, is it, do you want to set up a regular deal with them or what's your well, ambition for this new friendship? Yeah, I guess you could You could be like, rather than go come on too strong, like come over for dinner, you could say, oh, that com- let's go see comedy again together. That's the thing we do together. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. we could. Yeah, definitely. Um, and because uh, Andy's a performer as well, so yeah, I think we could either see comedy or live music or, mm-hmm. or anything like that. But I'm definitely keen keen to hang out again. You know, I've had um, a, a really close friend of mine who uh, once dated someone who I just found really boring and intense. Oh, weird combo. Yeah, it, so it, weird. Yes. Intense in the sense that they would just tell long, boring stories and not blink? Uh, no, uh, in, in te- intense in that uh, well, every conversation had to be, have to have a lot of meaning and intensity, just a monotone voice. And I'm, I'm, I don't know, you could never really lift the mood. And I don't mind if you, of course, I'm there for intense conversations, but mm. maybe a variety. But every time we would catch up, 
it would always, it would just be really intense. And it was hard because I was really good friends with this person. She always wanted to catch up together. Um, so trying to work out boring and intense still. Me Is too. it like Elliot Goblet? We've already had a This Is Your Life and so, so the content. Uh, look, it doesn't matter. But it's, the, the double. I just when you say intense and boring, I'm just thinking. That's why I said doesn't blink. Like unflinching eye contact. Yeah. Very. So you can't. And and hard to change the topic because they dominate. Yeah, I guess you know some of the conversations. I hope they're listening. Yeah. Um, some of the conversations probably wouldn't be boring, but I guess because it was just constant, I found it boring. Yes. So yeah, if, if that makes mm-hmm. a little bit more sense. Is, I didn't mm. know double dating was. I, now that you mention it, I guess it has fallen away as a term. No, I'm, yeah, I'm all for it. Me too. The, the danger is that when you, say, go out to dinner and you are recycling material that your partner knows. Oh, in front of me, but it's a new audience. Yeah, but it's a new audience. Oh, yeah. And then I think you have an obligation as someone who's heard the material before to shut the hell up. <laughs> like, to, not to, you can talk, but like, don't say, oh, I've oh, heard no, this. Oh, no, it's funny. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. Totally. And yeah. also I think it should be like improv, like it should be a team, like you should yes and. Mm, oh, yeah. <laughs> and then is that like that time that this happened? Yeah. Ah. Not not stymie and poo-poo uh, your partner. I feel like this has taken an interesting turn, Daniel. I'm uh, not drawing <laughs> on personal experience. No one's double dated in three years. <laughs> Um, I think, um, yeah, I, no, I like the term double date. I think it happens a lot once you're an adult and in like a long-term relationship. A lot of your social yeah. catch-ups are double dates and you don't call yeah. them that. Oh, you know what I find interesting is if your partner on a double date does regurgitate a story or material and you're like, oh, oh. I didn't know that you valued that. I didn't think that you thought that was public worthy. Or like something they told you. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, you think that that's for an audience? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I see where your standards are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you know what happened? Oh, I, yeah. yeah. No, go I'll on. do it. No, what happened re- <laughs> recently um, with with my partner is he um, regurgitated a story when we were with friends, but it was my story. Oh. Like it was a very, you know, interesting, insightful point that I had made. Yeah. And he said, you know what I've realised? <gasps> oh, no. And I said, do you know how you realised that? You said that publicly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. it was fine. But yeah. it was, but, and I, I hate, it was, anyway, it doesn't happen <laughs> often. But I also do enjoy when couples fight in front of me. It wasn't fun. <laughs> no, I do, I, people are like, you're not supposed to. I love it. It's fun. It's an insight. It shows, like, comfort. You, don't you think there's an element Just of... comfort is what I think yeah. of. But there's an element of, like, oh, you you are so comfortable around me. Exactly. You're showing your true self. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, I get really invested. It's not like I'm looking at my feet or whatever, like, shuffling, waiting for you to stop <laughs> fighting. Um, and... Did Will know that he had appropriated you? I wish I could remember. It was just recently and he just he just messaged me and said, I'm shaking my head. But he won't tell me what it was. But he did. And then he actually did laugh. And he just said, oh, yeah. it's because I love you and you make such yeah, a point. Yeah, totally. I think I have retold a story to Abby that she told me. But I said it though. Oh, I heard this story. Oh, yes. And she's like, yeah, I told you that story. It's like, yeah. right, good. Yeah. Okay. I just well, want to know, you know that I heard it. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was well, good. I thought you'd like it. What if your uh, partner t- says something, shares an observation or a story of yours, and you're like, well, when you first heard it, I got donuts. 
Mm. Turns out you actually retained it, valued it, and think it's so special you're willing to share it. <gasps> so why can't you give me that love in the room? <laughs> huh? <laughs> Again, I feel we're veering into <laughs> Check, please. Triple R. You've been listening to a podcast of the best bits of Breakfasters, which is the Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Feel free to get in touch with Breakfasters via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or via the Triple R website. <laughs>